All right, we're going to be back in 1 Peter, but we're just going to, it's just going to be abbreviated a little bit. So again, we're going to look at one verse. If you've been with us, we've been in 1 Peter chapter 1 here for a number of months. And so this morning, we're going to look where, if you were with us last Sunday, we left off at verse 21. We're going to look at verse 22. So if you've got your Bibles with you, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and I'd like you to stand, if you can, as we read the Word of God together. So obviously this verse, beginning the way that it does, again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, uh, shows that it is connected, and we'll talk about that, to everything else that we have been looking at previously in the chapter. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for your holy and perfect word. We thank you that your word is alive, that your word has the ability to change us, transform us from the inside out. And we ask this morning, that this word would be more than just black print on a white page in our Bibles, but that you would take your word and do your work within us, that you would change us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would teach us this morning. Be our teacher. We ask this all in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, together. Amen. Well, I've never seen anybody yet pull up to the airport departures lane towing their closet and a dresser behind them. But what we do see on a regular basis are hordes of, of travelers pulling up to the lanes at PDX, all facing the same creative challenge, the same challenge that my wife and I are facing right now, or any of you that have been traveling this summer, condensing and compacting everything you'll need for a trip away into the equivalent of a grocery bag or two. Jackets and shoes and toiletries and books and laptops and cables and makeup bags and sometimes stuffed animals, blow dryers, medications, not to mention a few clothes as well. And with changing baggage policy, many flyers are even thinking now smaller and fewer, asking the questions as they look at everything that they want to bring, what can I eliminate? What is really the essential for this trip? Well, as we think about that this morning, I think we could rightly ask those same questions of our spiritual sojourn. Here in First Peter, we have mentioned in the past couple of weeks that he has called us Aliens in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 11. He has called us strangers, chapter 2, verse 11. And those who are sojourning in chapter 1, verse 17. As we mentioned last Sunday, more literally translated, those who walk alongside their home. The imagery imparting to us the very solid idea and reminder that Christian, this world is not your home. This world not being our home, we must pack lightly 
giving priority to those things that God says are essentials, not the world. And verse 22 gives us a preeminent one or an absolute top essential for our keep it light suitcase. And so as we hone in on this verse, I, I want us to look at two key components here. One of them is positional, our identity as a believer, and one of them is practical, how that truth then works its way, way out into everyday life, how it translates to everyday life. So let's look at this positional component first. I'd simply call it the dynamic of Christian love. Look again at the beginning of verse 22 in 1 Peter chapter 1. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Well, what does this mean? Well, since at the beginning is a word that, that is looking back. We could also translate it as because. It's looking back to something that already happened. What already happened to them? Peter is reminding them. Since this happened, since your obedience to the truth, your response to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, there is a change that's going to take place. Since you're new creatures in Christ, all the things that Peter had talked about, you have a living hope. Chapter 1, verse 3, because of the resurrection of Jesus, your life is completely changed. You are transformed. You're a new man. You're not the old man anymore. By this, he says, as he describes it, your souls are purified. This is all highlighting that internal transformation by which, as we talked about last week, we are now different people. We're not just better people. So often, teaching among Christians today can just get into the self-help mode so that we think of things as being better. If I add the gospel to my life, if I add Christ to my life, I might be a better worker. I might be a better husband or a better wife or, or a better student or whatever it may be. But the scriptures tell us that we are different so it's not just a matter of being better, it's an inward transformation so that we literally become different people, thinking differently, moved and motivated by different things. This is what God does to us. God transforms us from the inside out. If we go back to Romans chapter 5, we read, which is just a rich chapter if we just read through the whole thing. But I'm just going to highlight verse 5 in chapter 5 for what we're looking at this morning. He writes, and this continues the thought from the previous verses, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want you to think about that for a moment. Now, you may have read this verse many, many times. You may have done your own studies of Romans. You may have heard chapter 5 many times. You're, you're overly familiar with what he's talking about here. But I want you to just still your heart for a moment 
and home in on this phrase of what he is talking about, literally of someone who is born again, who knows Jesus Christ, God has poured out within our hearts his love through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you believe this? Is this true? Then how would this change us? I mean, think about that truth positionally with who you are as a new creature in Christ. This is what Peter's been talking about in chapter 1. God has poured out his love within our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Have you ever been watering something in your yard, maybe this summer when everything else is brown, so you really see the contrast, and you set the hose somewhere, maybe on a certain shrub or a certain part of the lawn or part of your garden or something else, and because of the pressure in the hose or because you trip over the hose on the way back or, or somebody else walks through your yard or something happens, the hose moves. And so you find out later on, maybe a half an hour later, 45 minutes, an hour later, that you've been watering the sidewalk or that you've been watering your driveway or you've been watering a weed patch. And you're just like, oh, man. And then sometimes, you know, it could be a week later, all of a sudden you've got this green circle right in the middle of everything else is all dried out because that's where the hose ended up, in the wrong spot. But it's providing nutrients. It's still providing something. It's, it's water. And God giving us the water of life. He's pouring that into our hearts. He's pouring his love into our hearts. Where is it going? Where is it flowing? Have you ever thought about that? If this is a reality, if this is something that he has done, where is that love going? This is fundamental. We have to understand this as, as believers. This isn't just for some people that this love of God flows into your hearts, but not everybody. It's an optional thing. It's something that you can choose. He just talks about it as a reality for those who are redeemed. John talks about this in 1 John and some very sobering words in chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. He writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What is John saying? John is expanding on the idea we saw in Romans 5, verse 5. We can't be Christians without the love of God being poured into our hearts. And John is making it clear that if we claim to be born again, 
the love of one another is going to be a reality. Now, I'm, I may go out on a spiritual limb here somewhat, but if there is not some kind of significant change in this area of how we view one another through the lens of the agape love of God, if there is not some significant at least the beginning of a, of a turning away from that self-love, then something must be really wrong. Something must be lacking. That's the first thing that we need to deal with as we look at this positional aspect, that this is who we are. This is a part of our identity as Christians. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your going to church every Sunday. Is that what he said? They will know you are my disciples by how many Christian bumper stickers you have on your car. They will know you are my disciples by how well you know Christianese. And you can say all the terminology and you can recite all the right wording and even have your theology down straight, be able to argue and debate very well. Is that what Jesus said? They will know you are my disciples. Who are they? The world, all the non-disciples, right? They will know, he says. They'll know it by your love for one another. And that love is there. It's not something we have to work for. It's not something we have to achieve. Romans 5.5 5 says it's there. It's been deposited. There is a hose flow going on into our hearts. What are we doing with it? That leads us to the second part of this verse, the practical component, which I would call the direction of Christian love. We looked at the dynamic of Christian love. Now we're looking at the direction of Christian love. This spirit-produced love in us is, is different. We've already talked about that. It's different in source and effect and how it looks, what it does. How so? Peter tells us. In one verse, and then he will expand on this through the next four chapters. But the first thing that he tells us is, get this straight. It's important. It's sincere. It's sincere. Look at verse 22 again. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. A sincere love of the brethren. What does sincere mean? It's an interesting word in the original Greek language. It's a compound word. So it comes from two different words. The first word being not, so it's a negative. It's saying it's not this. It's not the second part of the compound literally translates to play act or to pretend. So we could easily translate to not play act or not pretend as being unhypocritical. In other words, on the positive side, it's real. It's genuine. It's authentic love. There's no phony smiles, no Christian words but little involvement. No someone else will do this. It's the real thing. Have you ever been in a situation, I know all of you have, where you witness something, 
something between two people. It could be a married couple. It could be a brother and a sister. It, it, could, be, it could be a teacher and a student. It could just be two brothers and sisters in Christ, two brothers in Christ. And you stand back, you get goosebumps, you shake your head, and you say, wow, that's real love. Have you ever said that about anything? You hear about something, you witness something, it's a story, it's a true thing, and you say, that, that is real love. What are you saying? Why are you saying that is real love? Because we use the word love for everything, don't we? I love those burritos. I love my dog. I love my cat. I love my new car. I love this and that certain experience or the new restaurant or the new movie. Whatever it may be, I love it. But to distinguish that, we say, that's real love. That's different. It's completely different. That moves me. That, that is unworldly. It's, it's otherworldly. It's, it has to come from somewhere else because we don't see that very often. Wow, that is real love. Can you think right now of when you have made a statement like that? And what clarifies that description for you? Real love. As we know what phony looks like, don't we? And you see right through it? The hypocritical and how often has that been tagged on Christians and churches and ministries and all kinds of stuff. Those bunch of phonies. Yeah, they just have a big smile plastered on their face, and they're just fleecing everybody as they come in. You know, we just want your money. And they're just like everybody else. They just live for themselves. They're in it for something else. They have an angle. And a lot of people have been burned by churches because of that. Believe me, I've met hundreds of them over the years. I would have nothing to do with your church because of the opposite of this hypocritical love and they've been burned and have heard lots of stories and you probably have too he says first of all this christian love is sincere secondly this christian love is this should be obvious this is what makes it distinctive it's sacrificial it's sacrificial the last phrase of verse 22 is the main command fervently love one another from the heart. Here, the word love, the first love in the verse was a brotherly type love in the original Greek language. Here, the second use of love in this verse is what we have talked about many, many times, the Greek love, agape love, the love of God, the unique love of God that when used in Greek society at that time, there wasn't even a place for it. Christians hijacked that word because it became uniquely associated with God himself. God must be the source of this agape. And it came to be described as primarily self-sacrificial and unconditional. This is the love that God demonstrated 
toward us in Jesus Christ. We're back to Romans chapter 5. This is the love of which Jesus says, as I have loved you, disciples, also agape one another. Where does our example of this love come from? The self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ ultimately resulting in him giving his life at the cross. That's the absolute ultimate. But he says, love one another as I have loved you. He doesn't tell us to look anywhere else. He doesn't tell us to go to Barnes and Noble and hang out in the self-help section. He doesn't tell us to go online and, and Google all these different ways that we can love. He said, I'm making it really easy. Love as I have loved you. This is what it looks like. It's sacrificial. Giving completely of yourself for someone else. In other words, Jesus is saying, Christian, this love, this authentic love, this love that they're going to know we're disciples because we have it, is not about you. So much in our world today is about us. And even love can be twisted and somehow there's something in it for us. There's a personal benefit. There's an angle. I'm going to use you to get this. I love you. What's in it for me? How many relationships break up because of that? No personal benefit to me anymore. What's in this for me? I'm out of here. Friendships are just disposed of because of that. Sacrificial love. It's different. The third part of this practical component that we see that helps us understand what Christian love is, is it's striving. Now, that's a weird one. We can understand that it's it's sincere and it's sacrificial, but striving, what does that mean? Well, that's what Peter says. So he says in that last phrase, if you look back at verse 22, fervently love one another from the heart. So from the heart, going back to highlighting the sincerity of it. But what's this fervently business? What does that mean? Fervently love one another from the heart. I don't get that. We don't even use that word fervently very often. In the original Greek language, it's an athletic term. It's an athletic term that, get this, it means striving with all that you have. So putting everything you have into something. Stretching every part of your limbs, your muscles, your nerves to put effort into something. Now, if you've ever been involved in athletics or if you've ever trained in any way as an athlete, you know what this word is describing. If you're going to succeed in any athletic endeavor, whether it be football or it be long distance running, whatever it may be, you've got to be in shape, right? Or you're going to pay for it. You have to prepare. You have to exercise. And you strain you prepare well. The better prepared you are, the better that you're going to do. How many people have testified as, as athletes that they've gotten down to, they don't, they don't even have one last ounce of energy in them. They're ready to quit. They're ready to fall along the sidelines and something in them, they just push and push and grunt and push and strain every muscle and they make it across the finish line. 
That's the word Peter is using. No exaggeration. That's the word he's using. Well, what does that tell us about love? It's not a casual thing. It's not a maybe thing. It's not number 10 on the top 10 list. It's not if I feel like it or if I can or if it works out okay or if somebody else doesn't do it or if it doesn't upset my schedule too much. It's fervent. He describes it as being fervent. It's a want to. It's not a have to. What a big difference. Have you ever had somebody do something for you and you can tell it's a have to? How do you feel about that? It's like, okay, all right, nobody else will do it, I'll do it. Yeah, if there's nobody else to help you move, I guess I can help you. How do you feel about that? It's just like, don't then, right? And sometimes we do that. We'll get into an argument with somebody. Well, then don't. Why do we say don't? They're offering to help us. Because they don't really want to. It's hypocritical and it's not fervent, right? We can see right through it. But when we come, walk up to somebody, one of the most unpopular things to ask somebody, can you help me move? And somebody goes, I'd love to. You go, what? Are you you're kidding, right? You're being sarcastic? No, I'd love to. Yeah, when, when do you need me? I can be there every day. What do you need? Yeah, I'll bring, I'll bring my truck. I've got a friend who has a truck. I'll bring blankets. I'll bring, you know, whatever you need. You just be like blown away, right? That's the love that Peter is talking about. That's what makes Christians different. Why can't we be like that? By this kind of love, they will know you are my disciples. That is what is going to identify us as different. Believe me, if somebody has ever helped you move like that, if you're a person who's moved a lot, you remember, don't you? In fact, as I said those words, there may be somebody in this room who's remembering a name pops into their head and they go, yeah, yeah, somebody did that. And you never forget it. The people that go, oh, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, maybe I'll be there. Maybe I won't. I got to show up an hour late. And, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on that day. You don't remember. Right? Hey, you probably wouldn't call them again. You'd be embarrassed. You'd be, hey, if you could, well, forget it, you know. This love is different. But this love is priority. So when you're thinking about that suitcase and you're thinking about it's the size of two grocery bags and I can't bring anything else, you're going on a trip. What do I put in there? I got to ask that question. What's essential? What's the most important thing? Okay, I don't need this. I don't need that. No, I don't need that massive army jacket. No, I don't need those boots. That's right. I'm going to be on a beach. You're just packing essentials, right? You're on a sojourn. Scripture says so. You may not feel like it. You're on a sojourn. Positionally, you are. You walk alongside your house. I love that terminology. You don't walk in your house, you walk alongside your house. The imagery being from the first century, one who does not put down their roots too deep because they're on a sojourn. The symbolism meaning this is not our home, ultimately. Only essentials needed. What's at the top? Agape. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for your challenge to us. Pray that your Holy Spirit would produce that love in us and help us to think twice about reaching out fervently with your agape. We ask for your blessing on the baptism in just a few moments, Lord, that it would bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.